good to be here with you uh, tonight. Been excited about sharing some thoughts with you about uh, heaven. So we're going to have a good time walking through some scriptures. I'm going to move kind of fast because how do you... How do you preach about heaven in one sermon? How do you sum up all there is to say about heaven in one sermon? The answer is you can't, but I want to make a go at it. Uh, so we're going to move kind of fast, and uh, I may just kind of quote some verses quickly. We may not turn to every passage that I mention. Uh, but I do want to share with you just some, some thoughts uh, about heaven. Uh, my last church I pastored, Temple Baptist Church, when they called me to pastor, I was 24 and the average age of the congregation was 72. Average age. And uh, they were dear, dear folks. Claire and I still have uh, good relationships with the people at uh, Temple Baptist Church and uh, love them dearly. Uh, I was there with uh, Murray and Janice. Uh, Murray's on staff there uh, with me. And uh, just, just some dear, sweet people. And I remember, Murray will get a kick out of this, I remember that... We had an inordinate amount of people that were 90-plus in that church. I don't know what it was, if it was the water, I don't know what it was, but there were a lot of 90-plus-year-olds in the church. And we had some classes for ladies, most of them were widows, and we had a, an 80- to 90-year-old class, and believe, believe it or not, we had a 90-and-up-year-old class. But here was the problem. No one wanted to promote to the 90 and up class because they knew the next promotion was what? Heaven. Remember that, Murray? Now, here's the question Is heaven a promotion? Should we be scared of that promotion? Should we long for that promotion? Why is it a promotion? What's so important about heaven? Not just in terms of where we'll spend eternity, but what importance does heaven have for our lives in the here and now? And so what I've done to summarize the Bible's teachings on heaven is I have posed four questions that I think are questions you probably have in some way, shape, or form. And I'm going to try to answer those questions biblically. Here are the four questions that I'm going to attempt to answer tonight. Question number one, what will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Question number two, who will be there? Question number three, what will we do in heaven? Question number four, what is the relevance of heaven for our lives today? Those are the four questions that I want to pose and then attempt to answer biblically. So question number one, what will heaven be like? Now to answer that question, we need to make a distinction between intermediate heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. You ever thought about intermediate heaven? The Bible says that at the end of all things, God is, going to, God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. But we haven't gotten there yet. And so what happens to people that die before the creation of the new heavens and new earth? What about my mother? Passed away a couple years ago. Where is she right now? 
The answer is, she is in intermediate heaven. She's in heaven, but that's not her final, eternal destination. You say, well, I never heard this stuff before. Well, let me just kind of unpack for you what this is all about. Let me just kind of walk you through the process that if the Lord tarries, every one of us in this room will experience. Every one of us in this room, if the Lord tarries, will experience death. Now, that'll bless you, won't it? Every one of us. And, and here's the deal. Every one of us is a day closer to our death than we were yesterday. Right? Every one of us. And we don't know when our uh, appointment with death will come, but it's coming for us all. So, we are going to die. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for man to die. And after this comes judgment. And so death is going to happen. And when death happens for the Christian, something interesting takes place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if a believer in Christ dies at the moment of death, their soul goes to heaven, we'll say intermediate heaven, to be with Jesus. Their body goes in the ground. Now we understand that. And so that's what happens at the point of death. Now we don't have a lot of information about intermediate heaven. What's going on for believers that are in heaven right now? We know, and this is really good, that everyone who is in intermediate heaven is with Jesus Christ, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with who? The Lord. And we know that when we die, if we know Christ, immediately our soul goes into the very presence of Jesus. That's good news, right? Every one of us. And so we don't have a lot of information about heaven, but it's good to know that we'll be there with Jesus. Also, we know that this intermediate heaven, before God creates the new heavens and new earth, is called paradise in the Bible. Luke chapter 23, verse 43. Uh, Jesus says to the thief on the cross that believed in him, Today you will be with me where? Not in the new heavens and new earth. You'll be with me in paradise. That's what he says. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul relays this vision God gives him of the third heaven. So he goes beyond in, in a vision form, beyond the, the sky, which would be the first heavens, beyond the, the galaxy, which would be the, the second heavens, and he goes into the third heaven, which speaks of uh, the presence of God. And he calls this place in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, thir- or chapter 12, verse 3, he calls it paradise. Now, if a place is called paradise, it must not be too bad. Right? I mean, it must, there must be something good about it. And Jesus and Paul call intermediate heaven, where a Christian goes if they die right now, calls that place paradise. We know that this paradise, this intermediate heaven, is so great that after Paul saw the vision of it, when he got a glimpse of this this paradise, God had to give him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. That's amazing, right? He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said the the revelations that that I saw, the, the, the view of heaven that I saw was so wonderful, God had to give me a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble because I'd go around bragging to everyone about how great it was. Which, by the way, makes you wonder about people that make millions of dollars bragging about their experience of heaven. But that's just a whole other sermon. 
But Paul says, I had to get a thorn in the flesh to stay humble. Because it was so wonderful. And so we don't know a lot about intermediate heaven, but we know we're with Jesus, we know it's called paradise, and we know it was so extraordinary that Paul would have bragged if God wouldn't have kept him humble. That's pretty cool, right? So that's where we go if we die uh, before the new heavens and the new earth, before uh, Christ comes back, our soul goes immediately into the presence of Jesus. So what comes next? Our body goes in the ground. Our soul goes to be with Jesus. What comes next for the believer in Christ? Well, the Bible is clear. Next comes resurrection. There's going to be a time when Christ comes back for our bodies. He's going to raise them from the dust. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that our perishable bodies will be raised imperishable. Our corruptible bodies, our decaying bodies, will be raised incorruptible. In other words, when our bodies are raised from the dead, they will be new glorified bodies. And listen... At the moment of resurrection, when our bodies are brought up out of the ground, these brand new bodies, our soul, which was in heaven with Jesus, the intermediate heaven, will be reunited with our new body. That's pretty cool, right? And in those new bodies, we will experience the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth. And we'll spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth with our brand new, glorified, incorruptible, imperishable bodies. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? That's what's going to happen. And so resurrection is next in the new heavens and the new earth. And so most of what I want to talk to you about tonight centers around the new heavens and the new earth. We don't have a lot of information about intermediate heaven. We know it's good. Anywhere that Jesus is, that's good. But we don't have a lot of information about that intermediate state. We do have a lot of information about the the, the final state, the glorified state, the new heavens and the new earth. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 21 with me. Revelation chapter 21. If you get to the maps, you've gone too far. Revelation chapter 21. Look what it says in verse 1. This is after the great white throne of judgment. And John says, Then I saw a new heaven. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So there's, there's this new heaven that God creates, a new earth, and the centerpiece is this city, the new Jerusalem. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And so I want to talk to you about what happens after we're resurrected and our souls and our new bodies are, are united And God creates the new heaven and new earth in which we will spend eternity. I want to talk to you about that. What are the new heavens and the earth going to be like? Well, first of all, the new heavens and new earth will be a place of incomparable beauty. Incomparable beauty. We don't have time to do it tonight, but when you get a chance, read 
through Revelation chapter 21, specifically the description of the New Jerusalem starting in verse 9 and going down through verse 21. There are all these descriptions of jewels and, and gold and crystal and how beautiful this city is. And again, this city, the, the New Jerusalem, will be the centerpiece of the new heavens and the new earth. It will be an extraordinary city. And just read the descriptions of that city. I heard a funny story uh, that kind of drives home the point of how incredible heaven is going to be. You and I both know that you're not going to take any of your possessions with you into eternity, right? But let's just say hypothetically, God allowed an exception. And God tells some gentleman, he said, I'm going to make an exception for you. I'm going to let you take something with you into eternity. And so this man cashes in all his assets and fills up a bag full of pure gold. Pure gold. And, and he gets to the gates of heaven, and he's met by angels, and they say, wait a minute, you can't bring anything into heaven. And he says, well, listen, i got special permission to bring this, this, this bag, to bring some possessions with me into heaven. And so the angel says, okay, I, if you got a special exception, then we'll let you bring it into heaven. But let me just check it out. Let me look in the bag and see what's in there. And the angel takes the bag and looks into it and says, at, looking at the gold, says, why are you bringing pavement into heaven? See, the book of Revelation says that the streets will be paved with gold. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Paved with gold. The gates will be made of a, a translucent pearl. I mean, you, you, you cannot imagine how breathtaking just the centerpiece of the new heavens and new earth will be, not including the rest of what God creates at that time. It will be breathtaking, a place of incomparable beauty. And it's almost like John is just trying to come up with the words to describe what he's seeing, but he just can't get there because it is so un. Believable. Years ago, uh, our in-laws bought us a our first flat-screen television, and uh, we were so proud of this TV. and And we had it there in our, our living room, and I knew it had high def capability. But I'm a cheapskate, and I didn't have high def channels. And we just used it for, you know, and I thought it was fine. I, I didn't understand what high def was all about. And I was just watching it, you know, and we were watching the channels. And, and one day I was talking to my television provider, and, and somehow we got off to talking about high def, and he made me a deal. He uh, said he'd get me into high def channels, and he wouldn't raise the price at all. And they finally did, and we're still fighting about that. But anyway, I... I had them send us a high-def box, and I saw the full capability of that television. I didn't know what I was missing. I mean, sporting events, golf. I mean, I was like, wow. I just, I said, Claire, come look at this. I, I, the, the, the TV reaches full capability. Well, listen to me. When we get to heaven, no longer will our bodies be marred by sin No longer will we be looking at a fallen creation. We are going to see with crystal clear, high definition vision the beauty of God as He just shows His majesty by creating a new heaven and a new earth centered around a new Jerusalem. Can you imagine It'll be a place of incomparable beauty. Also, the new heavens and new earth will be our dwelling place. We're going to dwell there. 
Do you remember what Jesus said in John 14? He looked at his disciples and says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so here's what I glean from that. When Jesus ascended back to the Father, he was busy, he is busy planning out our final dwelling place. And when we get to heaven, there will be a special dwelling place in heaven somewhere, I don't know where, for you and for me, if we are followers of Jesus Christ. And the old King James says there are many mansions. The, the original Greek there is, is there are many rooms. I don't really care what it means. It means there's a special place for me and for you, right? Here's what I know about the new heavens and the new earth. Because of Jesus, I'll be there. I'm glad I get to be there. And, and I can only imagine that my place, my room, is going to be pretty special. It'll be our dwelling place. Also, the new heavens and earth will be centered around, and here's the main thing, centered around the very presence of God. Look in Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23. Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23. John here, recording his heavenly vision, says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. You know, it's interesting that so much of the Bible talks about the temple. If you get a a chance sometime, just do a study of all the mentions of the temple in the Bible. You can go back and read about the tabernacle, which was the forerunner for the more permanent temple structure. You can read about how God gave them instructions about the holy place and the holy of holies and the the furniture and the tabernacle. And you can read about David preparing all of the, the construction elements so that Solomon, his son, could build the first permanent temple. And Solomon built a temple that was just full of grandeur. And people came from, from all around just to see this mighty, mighty work of architecture and beauty. And then you can read about the temple being destroyed and the temple being rebuilt under the instruction of Zerubbabel. And you can read about Herod's temple in the days of Jesus Christ, how he, uh, he added to Zerubbabel's temple, and that was the temple that was there when Jesus was there. And you can read it in history about the Romans coming into Jerusalem in, in A.D. 70 and destroying the temple. And you can, you can even study about the, the remnants of the temple that are still there in Jerusalem. There's still a wailing wall, which is a, a part of, of, of some of the, the original temple structures. And, and you can read about the temple. It's such a big deal because the temple, signified the very presence of God among his people. And isn't it interesting that in heaven, no need for a temple. We don't need a symbolic reminder of the presence of God because in heaven, he's going to be there. Not symbolically, he's going to be there. His presence will be in our midst. And there's no need for any other kind of light because the the unveiled face of the Lamb of God will provide enough light for it all. The new heavens and earth will be centered around the very presence of God. And let me tell you about the presence of God. Over in Romans 16, verse 11, David says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, listen, in your presence... There is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And so I know heaven 
will be all about maximum joy because we'll be in the presence of God himself. Can you imagine? I can't imagine. But it's going to be incredible. So what will heaven be like? It's going to be a place of incomparable beauty. It's going to be our dwelling place. We're going to live there, and it's going to be centered around the presence of God. But here's the second question. Who will be there? Who will be there in heaven? Well, there are five answers to that question I want to give you to kind of unpack who's going to be there in heaven. First of all, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be there. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. It says, Nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So saying, in this new Jerusalem, the centerpiece of heaven, no one can enter that that is unclean. No one can enter that city who is a liar or deceitful. And when you read that, you ought to say, "Uh uh-oh. I've done some things that are impure in my life. How about you? I've deceived before. How about you? So does that mean that none of us, because we're all a bunch of sinners, that mean none of us can get into heaven? No. Look what it says. It says, anyone whose name was not in the book of life, only those whose names are in the book of life can enter the city. The only ones that can enter that city, the New Jerusalem, are those whose names are recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And here's the question. How does your name get in the Lamb's book of life? Well, you've got to know the Lamb. It's His book. And the Lamb is Jesus Christ. See, the only way to get into the city is to have the Lamb of God apply His shed blood to your spiritual account so all your uncleanness and deception can be washed away. And then on that day, you will be forgiven. You'll have the righteousness of Christ as a gift that covers you. And because your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, because you know Jesus Christ, the Lamb, as your personal Lord and Savior, then you'll be able to enter that city. Isn't that good? And so if you are a believer in Jesus, if you've repented of your sins, placed your faith in Christ, guess what? Your name's in the book of life. It'll never be blotted out. And when it's all said and done, you will be able to enter heaven. Not because you're good, not because I'm good, but because he's good and he has saved us by his grace. You don't get to heaven by being good. You're not good enough to get to heaven in your own strength. Your sins must be washed away by the blood of the Lamb, right? We're going to celebrate that tonight. Jesus shedding his blood so that we can be saved. And so those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life get to be in heaven. It's pretty significant. Secondly, loved ones who died in the Lord will be in heaven. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is a really interesting passage. Paul went into Thessalonica and he preached the gospel. He said, give your life to you, be saved. And folks were saved and the church was started. And he gave them some instructions quickly before he moved on to the next city. And he probably said something like this. You need to live in light of the return of Christ. Christ could come back at any moment. So just be ready for that. And then he left. And so the people, new believers in Christ, were were looking for the second coming of Christ, excited. But then people who were believers began to die. 
And they started to think, well, what happens to them? They didn't understand. And so Paul got word that the church in Thessalonica had questions about those who were believers in Christ but died before the second coming. And, and look what Paul says to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That's a euphemism for death. He says, That you may not grieve as others who do not have, or who, uh, others do who have no hope. So he's saying, Listen, you've got loved ones who are believers in the Lord. They died. You don't have to grieve like others. You have hope in this. Where's the hope? Look what he says next. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who are dead in their graves. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, what? Will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. Notice that word together. Everyone say together. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always together be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Here's what Paul's saying. Don't lose heart. Grieve, but don't grieve with hope, without hope. You have hope in this because you'll see those folks again. God's going to raise them from the dead, and there will be a great reunion in heaven with your loved ones. You haven't seen them for the last time. And so here's what we need to understand, that when we get to heaven, we will be reunited with our loved ones who died in the Lord, that died as believers in Jesus Christ. And listen, that's really, really, really good news. Death is hard, and yes, we grieve, but we are not hopeless because Jesus died on the cross, and Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus will raise our bodies one day and bring us to the new heavens and the new earth, and we will be there together. Loved ones who died in the Lord will be there in heaven. Can't wait to see my loved ones. How about you? Also, Saints from all of human history will be there. Everyone who's ever placed their faith in Christ all through human history will be in heaven. Now think about that. Hebrews chapter 12 says that we are, after the Hebrews Hall of Faith in chapter 11 says that we are surrounded, we are encompassed about by a great cloud of witnesses, right? All of those who lived faithfully for the Lord have gone before us. And now it's as if they are cheering us on in our Christian race. But when we get to heaven, we get to spend some time with every believer that's ever been saved through human history. So think about some of the believers that you will get to spend time with. I think about Charles Spurgeon. You know, I'm a, I love Charles Spurgeon, great preacher of the 19th century in London, England. I use him as a sermon illustration this morning. I've never heard him preach. The closest I got is there's an old, old recording of his son preaching a brief message. His son took over uh, the church after Charles Spurgeon passed away. And the little clip I listened to said, well, his son sounds kind of like him. So I heard that. And that was like a recording from like 1910. So it was a very, very bad recording. I can't wait to meet Charles Spurgeon. He's going to be there. 
and just hang out with him. And maybe even the Lord will let him preach a sermon, right? You can hear him preach. Folks like Adrian Rogers, one of my heroes uh, in the faith. Uh, I get to just spend some time with Adrian Rogers. Won't that be incredible? Jim Elliott, this five colleagues that were martyred in Ecuador, the middle part of the 1900s that spurred so many to give their lives to the Lord to go into international missions. They'll get to just talk to Jim Elliott. And and I could go on and on and on with all the saints through all of the years that will be in heaven. Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Apostle Paul. Peter. Ruth, the Moabitess. Can you just imagine all the people that will be there that we get to just spend time with? And there's no rush because we're going to be there forever, right? That is going to be incredible. It's just going to be incredible. I plan on getting a list and, and plan out my itinerary, who I want to hang out with, right? Saints from all of human history will be there. Also, who's going to be there? People from every nation will be there. Look back in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, look in verse 24. He speaks of the lamp of the, is the lamb. By its light, the lamb's light, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring it into, into it the glory and honor of the nations. And so we see here there will be representatives in heaven from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, every people group will be represented in heaven. And we should know this is the case because over in Matthew chapter 24, listen to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus made a powerful statement about the nations. He says, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so in heaven, there are going to be representatives there from every tribe, every tongue, around the throne, worshiping King Jesus. Won't that be wonderful? Every nation. I look forward to meeting people that got saved, and I didn't even know it. Can you imagine if someone walks up to you and says, the Lord revealed something kind of cool to me. Can I share it with you? And you say, well, yeah. And they say, you remember when your family prayed about what to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? Well, God kind of tracked that money and showed me how it was used. And, and, and that money was used to put a, a brand new family uh, in my people group. And I lived in a people group that had never even, even heard the gospel. And this, this family got here and they spent time living among us and learning the culture. And they spent time learning the language. Our language was really difficult. And then one day I was in the marketplace and I got to a conversation with one of these folks. And they told me for the first time about Jesus. And I thought about him, and I, and, I, and, and, I, and I felt the Lord working in my life. And there was a time when I understood the gospel, and I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I was born again. I was saved. And the Lord showed me that family was there living on the support of the money you gave to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Wouldn't that be incredible? Think about that. 
and, and, and God will connect the dots to show us that there are people there from every tribe, every tongue, every language, and oh, won't it be wonderful to worship with people from every nation. Also, who will be there very quickly, there are going to be some surprises there in heaven. You're going to see some folks in heaven, you're going to say, wow, didn't expect to see you here. And you say, wait, why do you say that? Do you remember the parable that Jesus shared over in Matthew 20? He told a story about a man that was getting laborers to work for the day. And he found some men early in the morning, and he settled on a wage with them, a denarius. And they said, okay, we'll work for you for a denarius. And they went to work. Near the end of the day, this this manager found a guy who hadn't done anything all day long, and there's just like an hour left in the work day. He said, I'll pay you a full day's wage for your hour of work. The guy said, that sounds like a good deal to me. And so he paid him a denarius for just one hour of work. Well, the guys that had been working all day for the same wage, that's not fair. And Jesus said, the last will be first, the first will be last. In other words, some people will come to Christ at an early age and their life will be lived for the glory of God. And oh, that's a wonderful thing when your life is not a wasted life. What a wonderful thing that you give metaphorically, a full day's life for the service of King Jesus. I don't want to live a wasted life. How about you? I don't want my kids to live a wasted life. Oh, it's going to be glorious, those folks that come to know Christ at an early age, and their entire life is given for the glory of God. But there are going to be other folks who've, who've lived a wasted life. They've ignored God in their entire existence. But right at the end, Maybe on their deathbed. They're going to remember the gospel that was shared with them at some point in time. And maybe in a way that's not even audible. They're going to give their hearts to Jesus and then slip into eternity. And guess what? Their reward will be the same as those who came to know Christ at an early age. They get heaven too. Because it's all grace. Nobody deserves it, right? If you get to heaven, it's grace. If I get to heaven, it's grace. If someone lives a reckless, wasted life, but accepts the grace of God at their dying hour, it's grace. And I'm convinced there are going to be some surprises in heaven. Folks that we just weren't sure about. But Hey, what do you know? They gave their hearts to Jesus right at the very end and experienced the amazing grace of God. I just can't wait to see those surprises. I can't wait. Let me give you a third question. I'm going to go really quick here. What will, what will we do in heaven? What will we do in heaven? Three things. This is a good question, right? Listen, a lot of people don't want to go to heaven because they think it's going to be boring. You know, they look at cartoons or movies or books and, and they think, well, we're just going to kind of be floating on clouds, strumming our harps with our angel wings. Now, I'll be honest with you, that sounds boring to me. But here's the deal. Nothing in the Bible says that's what heaven's going to be like. So what will we do in heaven? Well, first of all, in heaven we will rest. Heaven we will rest. Revelation 14, verse 13. Listen to what John writes. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed is the Spirit that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. 
In heaven, listen, when you get to heaven, you no longer have to worry about the cares of life that weigh you down today. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, right? When you get to heaven, all of those worries, all of those anxieties will be gone because you'll be in the presence of Jesus There will be no enemies. There will be no worries about finances or health. There will be no rushing around. You will be in the presence of Jesus. You will be whole. And nothing will be able to change your status in heaven. So you get to rest. Not worried about making ends meet at the end of the month. and Not worried about a loved one getting sick or any of that. Finding the right job. Losing your job. You don't have to worry about that anymore. In heaven, you'll get to rest. You'll be in perfect peace in the presence of the king. Also in heaven, we will serve God. Revelation 22.3 says this. Don't miss this. This is so important. Look what it says. Revelation 22.3. John writes, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants... We'll worship him. The Bible calls the folks in heaven servants. So I don't know what it entails, but you and I will be doing something in heaven. And if God gives us an assignment, it will be satisfying, and it will be enriching, and it will be exciting. We will have something important to do in heaven. There's no talk about floating on a cloud and playing a harp, okay? We're going to be doing something, serving God in some exciting, enriching, soul-satisfying way. We're going to be doing something for the glory of God. And here's the deal. In heaven also, we will experience adventure. Adventure. Listen to what it says in Revelation 21, verses 24 and 25. It says, By its light will the nations walk, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. And so this indicates, the open gates indicate a coming and going to the new Jerusalem. And so people are going to be coming into Jerusalem. They're going to be leaving to go to their dwelling place, I guess, if it's not in the new Jerusalem. And there's going to be this movement among the citizens of heaven in the new heavens and the new earth. And we don't know what that entails, Will we, we, will we be able to scuba dive without a scuba tank? I don't know. We get to explore the new heavens and new earth, right? We'll be coming and going. I, you know, I've always wanted to climb Mount Everest, but I'm a big chicken, so I would never do it. Because you know, people die on that mountain doing that. I don't want to die on a mountain, all right? But I've always thought, man, it would be cool to climb Mount Everest. Well, hey, guess what? New heavens, new earth. Whatever's there, Mount Everest or the new form of Mount Everest, I'm I'm planning on climbing it. There's simply no indication that we won't be able to explore and enjoy. Why would God create a brand new heavens and a brand new earth if we don't get to enjoy it? Right? And so it's all going to be there for us to experience. I believe there's going to be adventure in heaven. We will experience that adventure. Randy Alcorn writes this. Our belief that heaven will be boring betrays a heresy that God is boring. See, for you to call heaven boring is for you to call God boring because God is going to be the one that creates the new heavens and new earth, right? And hey, I got news for you. God is anything but boring. Heaven's going to be exciting. And in heaven we will worship. Look what it says in Revelation 22, verse 3. He says, 
No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will what? Worship Him. And so in heaven, we will worship God. And I just can't imagine what those worship services are going to be like. I just can't imagine. I mean, I've had some worship services here on this earth where I believe heaven came down. You ever been in one of those worship services? You've been where I had them here at Longview Point? And, and I'm telling you that it's just like heaven comes down. God manifests His presence in your midst. Well, guess what? We're going to be in heaven. Heaven doesn't even need to come down. You're going to be there, right? Every worship service will be heavenly. Can't imagine what it's going to be like just to worship the, the Lamb. In spirit and truth, surrounded by all the nations. That's what we'll do in heaven. We'll rest. We'll serve. We'll experience adventure. We will worship. Remember, we're going to have brand new glorified bodies to get around in, right? Bodies free from any kind of pain, any kind of illness, any kind of anything. We'll have brand new, perfect, glorified... He said, wait, how perfect will our bodies be? Well, over in 1 John 3, it says that when we see Jesus on that day, we will be like Him. Our bodies are going to be like the body that Jesus has. How's that for perfect? So, whatever issues you have with your physical body, guess what? No issues in heaven. And you get to live in that glorified body, that perfect body, forever and ever and ever in the very presence of God. That's what we'll do in heaven. Let me give you a fourth thing, and we'll be through. What is the relevance of heaven for our lives today? What is the relevance of heaven for our lives today? Let me give you three things. Number one, keeping heaven in mind puts present suffering in perspective. You may want to jot that down. Keeping heaven in mind puts present suffering in perspective. Look over in Romans chapter 8 with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. This is a very important verse. Romans 8, verse 18. Love this verse. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says, when you compare all the suffering, the sum total of our suffering in this life, and there's a lot of it, life is hard. When you compare that to eternal glory in heaven, it doesn't even compare. It's just a a blip on the screen. In other words, when we get to heaven, it will make our suffering look so minuscule. And the memory of that suffering will just fade away in the presence of our Savior. As a matter of fact, Revelation 21 says that He, listen, will wipe every tear from our eyes. When you and I get to heaven, there's going to be some tears. We're going to have some scars and some wounds from living in this old world. But in heaven, the Lord Himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. Wow. And so keeping heaven in mind puts present suffering in perspective. Richard Baxter, the old Puritan, writes, We have gone through the day of sadness. We will one day enjoy together that day of gladness. Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song after his daughter passed away in a tragic accident. And the title of the song was, Heaven is the Face. And there's a a part of that song where Stephen Curtis Chapman sings, 
in my mind's eye, I can see a place where your glory fills every empty space. All the cancer's gone. Every mouth is fed. And there's no one left in the orphan's bed. Every lonely heart finds their one true love. And there's no more goodbye. And no more not enough. And there's no more enemy. Knowing that that's coming... That kind of glory is coming really helps us to put the suffering of this short little life in perspective, doesn't it? Let me give you a second thing. Keeping heaven in mind removes death's sting. Look over 1 Corinthians with me, verse uh, chapter 15, verse 54. Speaking of our new glorified bodies, Paul writes, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality. When God gives us brand new bodies, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Jesus took care of that when he died on the cross. Amen? The power of sin is the law. Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf and gave us his righteousness. He took care of that. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's what he's saying. Because one day you're going to be resurrected, because you're getting a new body, because the new heavens and new earth are in your future, you're going there one day and you'll be there forever. What do you have to be afraid of? Death is just a transition to heaven. It's not an ending. We Listen, we don't have to be afraid of death if we know Jesus. It's just like stepping through a door into the very presence of Jesus. Keeping heaven in mind removes death's sting. Can you imagine how hopeless life would be as we deal with death and dying and loved ones? Can you imagine how hopeless it would be if we didn't have any future hope? But because we have future hope, death no longer has its sting. One more thing. Keeping heaven in mind gives you an eternal outlook. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're closing right now. Look in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship, Paul writes, is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. In other words, he's saying, don't live like a citizen of this world. You're not. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're waiting for Jesus to come back and set everything right. Right? So don't don't live so caught up in the things of this world. There's something much greater out there that ought to occupy your heart and your mind. Keeping heaven in mind keeps an eternal outlook. There's a lot more important things going on, eternal things, than just the day-in, day-out trials of this life. In Randy Alcorn's wonderful book, Heaven, which I highly recommend you read, 
he gives some questions for reflection. I'm going to close with these questions that help us to keep eternity in view in light of heaven. Here are the questions. Do I daily reflect on my own mortality? Ecclesiastes says it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. You know why? Because going to a funeral forces you to come, to come face to face with your own mortality. And that's a good thing because it makes you keep eternal things in perspective. Second question, do I daily realize that there are only two destinations, heaven and hell, and that I and every person I know will go to one or the other? That's a sobering question, isn't it? Do I daily remind myself that this world is not my home and that everything in it will burn, leaving behind only what's eternal? Then we spend so much time fretting over stuff that one day is just going to burn up. The story I told earlier was fictional. We're not taking anything with us to heaven. Next question, do I daily recognize that my choices and actions have a direct influence on the world to come? Next question, do I daily realize that my life is being examined by God, the audience of one, and that, the only, that only the appraisal of my life that will ultimately matter is His? And the last question, do I daily reflect on the fact that my ultimate home will be the new earth? where I will see God and serve Him as a resurrected being in a resurrected human society, where I will overflow with joy and delight in drawing nearer to God by studying Him and His creation, and where I will exercise to God's glory dominion over His creation. Do I reflect upon the fact that one day I will be in the new heavens, in the new earth, with King Jesus? If you reflect on those eternal realities, it makes the things that we worry about seem awful, awful insignificant, right? And so thinking about heaven has direct relevance for our lives today.